22-year-old Barbara suspected Dennis Rainey was about to propose. To her, it was a logical choice. To marry my best friend just made so much sense. Why would I want to marry somebody that was a stranger? I mean, he was in many ways, but we had spent so much time together and logged so many experiences, life experiences. It just was made sense. We'll hear more about how Dennis Rainey and Barbara Peterson became Dennis and Barbara Rainey today. Welcome to the Barbara Rainey Podcast from Ever Thine Home, where we're dedicated to helping you experience God in your home. Thanks for listening. In September of last year, Dennis and Barbara Rainey celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. They captured highlights and lessons from their courtship and marriage in a book titled Our Story. Not long after the book was out, they were invited to be guests on the podcast Michael Easley in Context. The Rainies have known Michael and Cindy Easley for many years. They easily served on the team of speakers for the Family Life Weekend to Remember. Let's listen to part one of their conversation with Dr. Michael Easley. Let's talk about this new book you put out. It's called Our Story, Dennis Barberini, and uh, it's dated September 2nd, 1972 to 2022. Now, first of all, is this book everybody can get a hold of, or is this book that you kind of did for obviously your family, but mm-hmm. was it more of a small circle with the intent? Yeah, it was a small circle. We wrote it because as we celebrated our 50th in early September, and as we were looking forward to that, we were trying to decide what do we want to do? How do we want this to look and feel? And part of what we wanted to do was leave our kids a gift of some kind, give them something that they could hang on to. And we realized as we talked that even though our kids think they know our story, they probably only know pieces of our story. For sure, our grandkids don't know our story. They don't know the stories of what God has done in our lives. They don't know all the things that we've been through and how God has been so faithful. And we also realized that some of the youngest grandchildren, we might not know for very long. I mean, we've got infants right now. And, you know, if God grants us favor, we will be around when they're 20, but we may not be. We know that. So we decided to write our story in print. They give all of the grandkids and our kids, too, a copy so that they would know a little bit more about their mom and dad and their Mimi and Papa. We, uh, a number of years ago, were given a letter by Dave and Peggy Jones. You'll remember they were yes. on the Family Life Marriage Conference speaker team. And they had been given a letter that was written by a Baptist preacher in the 1600s. Obadiah Holmes was his name. I I remember this. We wrote about this in our devotional moments together for couples. The last three days of the year are really a reprint of his letter to his descendants. And that letter now has survived 12 generations. It's fascinating. He was addressing his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren as he spoke, speaking into their lives, wanting them to be on mission, wanting them to be a part of the king's army and rolling up their sleeves, making a difference in their generation. So that's where the idea came from. It germinated over a period of 
probably 30 years in Barbara's in my life, and we decided to put this thing together to give to our children and grandchildren, probably some great-grandchildren, too. Well, I was going to ask, is there any lens on when the first great well, first of all, how many grandchildren, Barbara? 27. 27. Okay. I know. Isn't I think that I've, staggering? That's how I, I feel I have 27 pairs of socks, but nah. one <laughs> 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 grandkids are married, and would there be a great-great-grandchild in the next year or two or three or four? Well, potentially three or four. We have one married. Our second grandson, James, got married last May, and he's still in college, and she's working, and they... Don't have any plans to get pregnant anytime soon, but three or four years, maybe. Yeah, those plans sometimes don't hold up. Uh, Honestly, don't. (laughs) What's it feel like to have grandchildren get married since we're not there yet? It feels really strange. It's hard to believe he's big enough, old enough. I mean, you look at him, (laughs) he looks old enough for sure, but it's just hard to believe he really is. I think it's rejuvenating. You know, children our God's message to the next generation that life continues. It goes on. As I like to say, there's more than one way to change the world. You can overpopulate it with with little believers who uh, embrace Jesus Christ and his claims for their lives. And I think that's the time-tested method of both discipleship (laughs) and of passing on the nursery. Yeah. The nursery overpopulate (laughs) and conquer. Yeah. That's, that's a theory. (laughs) So tell folks who don't know your story, when did the two of you meet? Well, we met in college when I was a junior at the University of Arkansas, and Barbara was a sophomore. And we met through Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew. And we were in the same group together, and we always liked each other, got along well. She dated my very best friend, and uh, unfortunately— he couldn't make a decision to marry her. So I said, if you don't marry her, I will. And really had no intention at that point of marrying Barbara. But uh, about a year later, we found ourselves together at a little meeting in Dallas, Texas called Explo 72. I was in charge of transportation for 40,000 high school kids that were deposited all over the Metroplex, Fort Worth, Denton, North Texas. Anyway, and you we were did that. Old? What were you, 19? 23 and 22. And I think we'll get to heaven and find out we had angels driving buses <laughs> during uh, Explode 72. Because 100,000 people came together in the Cotton Bowl. And it was a powerful time to see God at work. But we were in the midst of a relationship beginning at that point. We really never dated. We just hung out. We spent time together when we were working on Explo for 52 days out of 55 until a guy who had influenced our lives dramatically at the University of Arkansas, Don Meredith, not the Dallas Cowboy Don Meredith, but Don Meredith, the campus director of CREW. And he set us down in a musty motel room in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, and tell him, Barbara, what happened? Well, we were there, Dennis and I both were there, to be in a wedding of really good friends of ours. I was a bridesmaid. He was a groomsman. And on the afternoon before the wedding, which was that evening, Don asked if he could have an hour with us. And we said, sure, fine, we'll come over. So we Dennis picked me up where I was staying. We drove over to this hotel and he said, have a seat. I want to talk to you. And I will never forget this hotel room. It was very 50s. It was very small. It had one double bed. 
it had a small table with two chairs in front of the window. And that was all that was in the room. And it was dark and it was musty. And um, we sat in those two chairs and Don planted himself between us both on the edge of the bed and said, you two have been dating long enough. You've been hanging out with each other. I mean, think it's time if you decide uh, whether or not this is God's will for you to get married. Well, I was like a deer in the headlights. I was shocked because that had not entered my mind at all. It hadn't entered Dennis's mind either. We were really good friends because we'd been really good friends in college for three years. And I had had enough dating relationships that went south. And I just thought, you know, I really like him a lot. I, I want to keep him as a really good friend. And I don't want to mess it up by turning it into a dating relationship because then that might jeopardize the friendship. And I didn't want to jeopardize the friendship. So at what point, Michael, we <laughs> were walking through North Park Shopping Center there in North Dallas. And I reached over to hold Barbara's hand. And this is when we'd gone out like 52 days out of 55, just as friends. We went fishing. We had lunch. <laughs> we hung out till 2 a.m. in the morning, just talking and getting to know each other. And I reached over to hold her hands. We were walking out of the, the shopping center, and she shot me a look and said, why did you do that? Yeah. And I didn't have an answer. And so I dropped her hand right there in the parking lot. And that kind of drew a line about the physical involvement that Barbara and I had. It was not a relationship that was going to be built on any kind of physical relationship. We virtually didn't kiss until we got engaged. And uh, no regrets about that, by the way. But that's kind of how it happened. And he challenged us to, to get alone and take two weeks, pray about it. I prayed about it for two days. <laughs> you were ready. I'm... <laughs> As you You're know, an indecisive you know, fellow, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a man of action, as you know. And I decided, I lived in Boulder, Colorado, and so I decided I'd call Barbara. And it was, I think it was about midnight in Boulder, and she was in South Carolina, so it was 2 a.m. for her. And I woke her up, and I said, I've been praying about this. Will you be my wife? Will you marry <laughs> Over me? Over the phone. I've never heard this story <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's a closely guarded secret, phone. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're bleary-eyed and this crazy guy caught, wakes you up. And what did you say? Well, I said yes, but I knew that because we had talked this thing through, after we had that meeting with Don in the hotel room, we drove somewhere in this little town and parked the car and looked at each other and said, well, what do you think? What do you think about what he said? I mean... We haven't talked about marriage. What do you think about that? And we both said, well, yeah, I mean, we like each other. We're really good friends. We're open to that. And, you know, let's think about it. And so we talked for probably two hours and then we had to go get ready for that wedding we were in. And then after the wedding, we drove off somewhere and talked for another two or three hours about it. And we just, as we talked it through, we thought, you know, God has a plan and God knows what he's doing. And if this is God's will, why would we want anything else? We don't. And so we had agreed that we were going to pray about it, as Dennis said. And so as I flew back to South Carolina, I said, Lord, I need to know what your will is. I need to know if this is where you want me to go. And if he asks me to marry him, do you want me to say yes? Or am I supposed to say no and walk away? And I just had this sense of peace that if he asked me, I was supposed to say yes. I didn't hear a voice. There was nothing like that. It was just this 
contentment, this sense of peace of this is right. And if he asks you, go for it. And so when he asked me, I was already with my answer. And I said, yes. A couple of things that the Don Meredith story, I knew about Don in your life, but I'm just now having this explosion. Okay. Now I understand Don's fingerprints on family life. <laughs> and even in the session we had for pre-marriage about get away and pray for two weeks or whatever the number was, I'm going, okay, this is all from Don's mouth to the family life material. Secondly, I have become reductionist in my pre-marriage counseling. What I mean by that is I don't tell people to go to pre-marriage counseling anymore because they don't listen. They don't pay attention unless it's a bona fide psychologist generally. Go after you've been married a year. <laughs> You know, because now you're going to have fighting. And But the other thing I tell them, and I told a couple this recently, I said, let's just, we're Christians, let's just, bottom line, do you like each other? Do you like hanging out with this person? And you said you went fishing together, and I'm laughing. Do you like this person? You know, Cindy and I have, we're just babes, 43 years of marriage, but we like each other. We still like hanging out. If she's got her office upstairs and I'm downstairs and we interact over the coffee pot once or twice in the morning, we like each other. And I think this is something not talked about because we're talking about, you know, sex and compatibility and finances and planning and dreams and hopes. And those are all crucial, but do you like this person? And what I hear y'all saying was you were friends. Mm -hmm. What a great way to start. Yeah. To marry my best friend just made so much sense. Why would I want to marry somebody that was a stranger? I mean, he was in many ways, but we had spent so much time together and logged so many experiences, life experiences. <laughs> it just was made sense. Absolutely. The reality, Michael, is I just think God led us together. And if you nail that down on the front end, what is there left uh, to discover in terms of it's God's will? So get on with it. It changes your options of pulling a parachute out and bailing. Divorce has never crossed our lips. We didn't have romance when we started our marriage. That was one of the odd things, that there was not a lot of feelings there. We hadn't had a chance to develop that side of the relationship. But we went to work on that soon after we got married, and it's been 50 years of fun courting my wife and, and dating her, pursuing her, and I'd marry her all over again, hundred times out of You know, it's interesting, and, and again, you taught Cindy and me this as we taught these conferences was romance is a horrible foundation for a marriage because it, it waxes and wanes, and because we're differently wired, men look at romance specifically, physically, women look at romance with a more holistic approach to, you know, everything from atmosphere right. and experience and they don't line up. And boy, we tried to, you know, teach that through those conferences that this is a horrible way. And, and when you have couples today living together, it's so hard to extricate them from that because that intimacy that they think is good will not sustain that relationship. It's got to be more than, quote, romance. Yeah, I'm just looking. The book that we gave our children and grandchildren on our 50th anniversary uh, last September 2nd contains our story, the first half mm -hmm. of the book. And then the second half is a message that Barbara and I have been working on, just distilling it out, 50 lessons from 50 years now, marriage. let me interrupt for just a moment. When you first told me about the 
concept of this, I thought, this is going to be a ginormous book that none of his kids or grandkids are going to read. <laughs> I mean, because I know Dennis Rainey. And when he says 50, I mean, I've got 50 chapters that are 20 pages long, and we got two volumes coming. <laughs> and then when I saw yeah. your product, I was like, okay, this was brilliant. Because these lessons are succinct, they're potent, but they're also digestible. Yeah, I was first asked to speak on marriage and do this at Southern, the Southern Baptist Seminary in mm -hmm. Louisville. They gave me 60 minutes. And at that point, we'd been married 40 years. So I had 40 lessons <laughs> from 40 years of marriage. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. And I finished that message in 61 minutes. And Dr. Al Moeller, who's got a pretty good, pretty good oh, mind, boy. got up to speak and he said, well, <laughs> 40 lessons from 40 years of marriage. What is there left to say about marriage? And he then went on yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> let, me, let me clarify what Dennis didn't. Yeah. He, um, exactly. Expound on it. But I think people are hungry to know what, what is the essence. It is one thing. It's a commitment to Jesus Christ and to one another in a covenant relationship. That's the source. That's the foundation. That's where you start. That's the headwaters of a, a marriage relationship and a family. But there's a lot of other components. And I was looking. I can't find them in here. But sex and romance are way on down mm -hmm. the line. You know, it's not that they're not important. They are. But it's not number one or number two. So to your point, Michael, romance is oversold to single people thinking they can sustain a relationship on that, and they can't. It's less than 31, if I understand. It says husbands and wives spell romance differently. Did you all have discussion, or was this almost, almost pretty much, okay, we've done this long enough to know, because... I'll let you tell them what number one is, but I read number one and went, of course, I knew they were going to say that. But was there a prioritization to the way you put the 50 lessons together? Yeah, there was in the sense that we knew there were certain things we wanted to be sure and say, but we also tried to do it somewhat chronologically. Uh, we didn't want to start out talking about lessons we learned in the empty nest on lessons one and two. So we did try to keep some kind of chronology in order as we went through it. But yeah, we had a lot of conversations. We literally sat on the couch next to each other with our computers and talked our way through all of these and shifted certain ones around. And it was very much both of us writing everything together. Your first one is couples that pray together, stay together. And again, that was part of sort of non-negotiable in the family life weekend to remember was we talked about this incessantly. And I remember using an illustration about the first time. And for those that don't know, when we were on the speaker team, Dennis and Barbara would lavishly treat us to a uh, family life speakers retreat. They didn't pay us much for the conference, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they made up for it in lavishly uh, treating us to this week down in uh, different locations. And I remember, I think we'd only been on the team maybe two or three years. And of course, we're doing this together. And the one thing I tell people was you can't stand up and lie all weekend. You either have to do what you're preparing or you're just yeah. going to be a big fat liar. And so I don't think I'd pray with Cindy. And I mean, beyond embarrassment. And I remember the 
first night, and I told this story at the conference, I flopped my uh, left hand over because I was on the right side of the bed. And I said, will you pray with me? Without a second's hesitation, she said yes and put her hand in mine. And I tell the story, you know, to try to be humorous. I'm glad I was laying down. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd have fallen over. And, And it was easy. But the fear, especially for a man who probably has, you know, less than adequate prayer life and has not ever or for years said, honey, will you pray with me? And, you know, I don't know. I just always found that striking that she was like, sure. And I don't think there's been a night in our married life when I've done that. And it's waxes and wanes because we go to bed at different times now. So it's a little different. And, you know, I live with chronic pain. So when I'm done, I'm done. So I got to lay down and she tends to go to bed later than me. But fascinating to me is she's never said no. The only thing she's ever said was, I'm too tired. Will you just pray? (laughs) (laughs) And then she falls asleep while I'm praying. But, you know, be that as it may. Well, Barbara has said no to me about praying with me on occasion. and But very few. That's right. But it's usually broken up with a pause after she says no, because I don't like you. Yes. Tonight. You've hurt me. And until you repent, you're not going before Almighty yes. God and having a conversation with like him nothing's about wrong. us. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I can honestly say, and I have said this for 50 years, I don't think we would be married today Mm. if we didn't pray together. We are both two very strong-willed, opinionated people. And, um, (laughs) yeah, I know that comes as a a great Uh, reveal. Gosh, breaking on in context with Michael Easley, Dennis Rainey (laughs) is a strong-willed, opinionated, uh, know-it-all, I mean, uh, a person of decision. (laughs) (laughs) Barbie, you want to comment on that? I can clean up. Yeah, come on. I'll clean up. Yeah. (laughs) It's just the practical reality of marriage is that you're not always going to feel like doing the right thing no matter what it is and praying together is just one of those many things that's right but we don't feel like doing and so I just wasn't willing to fake a relationship with God with my husband and so when he asked if we could pray and I felt like there was something unresolved I said no I think we need to talk about this first so it's being real with each other but also being real before God because faking it doesn't get you anywhere. again, that's a conversation between Dennis and Barbara Rainey and their friend, Michael Easley. They were just discussing the importance of praying together as husband and wife. It's the first of 50 marriage lessons Dennis and Barbara list in their book, Our Story. Now, if you're a subscriber to Barbara's friends and family, you'll be able to go on and listen to the other half of this conversation with Dr. Easley right away. They discuss things like what it means that marriage is a covenant of trust. You'll find part two of the interview at barbarainey.substack.com. That's also where you can sign up to become a member of Barbara's friends and family. The subscription is only $5 a month. Again, head to barbarainey.substack.com. If you're interested in the book, Our Story, there are just a few copies left. Head to everthinehome.com slash our story for all the details on how you can order the book, Our Story everthinehome.com slash our story. 
Thanks for listening today. I hope that you and your spouse will pray together today and tomorrow and every day as much as you can. I'm Samantha Keller. Join us next time for the Barbara Rainey podcast from Ever Thine Home.